The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad that you've all joined us today because I'm really excited about our guests. You know, there are people out there who say that they are tree huggers. There are even people who live in trees when they're protesting, they're cutting down. But Gaurav Seth is representing an organization that does the most important thing, which is planting trees. Um, they are an organization called Trees for the Future, and actually Trees for the Future has been around for a lot longer than it's been cool to go green. This is an organization that was founded Actually, I think their work started in the late 70s, but they became a nonprofit organization in the late 80s. And uh, Gorev Seth is their head of all international programs. And they have planted something like 65 million trees all over the world. And we're so excited to have Gorev with us to talk about this awesome organization, all the work that they're doing, and how they're able to accomplish all of these various projects in so many areas of the world. Well, welcome to Go Green Radio, Gorev. We're so glad to have you. Thanks, Jill. It's really nice to be here. Well, you know, your undergraduate degree came from a, a fine university that's just about 20 minutes from my house, UC Berkeley, and you have an MBA in international business from George Washington University. That's very impressive. Um, you know, you could probably be making a lot of money in the corporate world, but instead you're in charge of the international programs for Trees for the Future. What is it about that organization that makes you want to work for them? Well, TREES is one of the only organizations that I know of that focuses on actual agroforestry extension and implementation. There are many research-based organizations and institutions out there, but TREES has developed a really interesting model where we take people's interest in the United States and in the developed world in planting trees, and we use that to do some really innovative work on sustainable agriculture, economic development, and environmental restoration. Trees, planting trees, is kind of the means to actually an end, which is sustainable development. And so I've been interested in sustainable agriculture for a long time, and my interest in agroforestry developed from there. And But I find that Trees for the Future really offered an opportunity to develop the kind of projects you learn about but don't necessarily have the chance to implement. And we get to work on small projects directly with individuals, communities, and organizations around the world where we can actually apply our skills and see the results from what we do. So there's, uh, there's a lot going on here that I really, really find appealing. Oh, that sounds inspiring. Great to wake up every morning and have a job like that. It's so full of meaning. Let, let's talk about some of the projects that you're working on. Specifically, let's talk about India, because I know that you've been directly involved in some of those projects. Tell our listeners what you're doing there. 
Yeah, I came to Trees ostensibly to to manage the India program, and I've kind of grown into my current position from there. Um, the program in India really started in 2004, before I was here, after that devastating tsunami. Um, we didn't have much of a presence on the ground, but many organizations who were involved in relief work wrote to us looking for funding and also looking for technical advice on how, what do you do with all this land that has just suddenly been covered with salt water. And so we put together the funding that we could gather and provided seeds and technical support to these groups. And from there, we, you know, we started a small program that was localized in the tsunami-affected areas. Um, then... Come to the end of 2006, we started getting a lot of interest from the yoga community, and this allowed us to expand our work to more areas of southern India. In the last few years, we've been expanding to the north. So by last year, we had one project that was about 80 kilometers from the Gangotri Glacier, which is the origin of the Ganges River way north in the Himalayas, and we had another project down in Tabul Nadu, a few tips, a few hundred miles from the southern tip of India. So. You know, India is, of course, a huge country, and our projects are, are focused mostly on the village level. So they're, they're small dots in India. But we have some really interesting projects. Um, you know, each country's needs are very different. Um, and in India, our projects are mainly focused on fodder, which is uh, green food for animals, uh, such as cows, fuel wood, living fences, fruit trees, and backyard horticulture. And, you know, the needs are different in every country and the challenges are different in every country. And in India, um, obviously, it's a very populated country. The high population density can be hard. You know, we have to find ways to work within those constraints. Um, and we work on a lot of uh, common lands and a lot of degraded, degraded communal lands because those are the areas that people are comfortable with planting trees. They don't want to plant trees on their, you know, quarter acre of rice paddy because they, they don't feel comfortable integrating trees into those systems, but they have a lot of degraded lands where we can work. So basically we are supplying seeds to many groups, starting nurseries, distributing trees, and most of these trees are being planted in backyards as boundary plantings around fields to keep animals out or to protect them from the wind. Uh, planting with schools, and a lot of planting on common lands as well. Tell us more about planting with the schools, because a lot of our Go Green Radio listeners are very active in their school communities. Tell us what you do with the school communities in India. Absolutely. We, um, we actually work with schools in a lot of our programs, and sometimes we'll start small nurseries with schools. Um, we, a lot of times schools have eco-clubs and green clubs, and so they will say, hey, we want to plant some trees at our school, so we'll send them some seeds and some information on how to start a nursery, and we'll take it from there. And one of our main project leaders in India is a retired school teacher from southern India. And so in his community, he's working with a lot of his for former students who come oh, back yeah. and help him in some of these projects. So there's a lot of, a lot of connections there. Well, and it sounds very grassroots, and I just feel like, you know, when people who are right there on the ground who are going to benefit from the vegetation are the ones involved in, you know, culturing it and, and taking care of it, it's going to end up being much more sustainable than having strangers from the outside come in and do it all for you. Uh, what's your experience with that? Uh, that's that's precisely our methodology. We um, We work with the communities on the ground. We 
say and we largely stick to the idea that we don't pay people to plant trees. We work with communities that will benefit from planting these trees. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people ask, well, what, what, what are you going to get from the trees? Well, you know, people need a lot of things that trees provide. And so that's the whole idea is to plant fast-growing beneficial trees that can help people meet their needs, improve their livelihoods. And from there, you develop a real sustainable um, project. Well, I'm kind of interested in something that you said a couple of minutes ago, that you got a lot of support from the yoga community. Um, you know, I do yoga, but I didn't realize there was a movement to help trees for the future. So tell us more about what you meant by getting some support from the yoga community. Absolutely. Um, back in, I believe, early 2007, um, Shiva Ray, who's a very well-known yogi um, down in, based in L.A., Mm-hmm. She came to know about Trees for the Future and started promoting us in her trance dances and promoting us to the yoga community at large. Um, she did a big gathering last year and the year before, and so she really got our name out to the yoga community. And since we were doing work in India, there was a lot of interest in supporting that work. So um, it, it even it's it's go, it keeps you know, new new studios keep contacting us and say, hey, we raised a little money for you. a little." And so that's actually been a, a lot of the reason we've been able to expand in India has been the support from the yoga community. That is really cool. That's really cool. Well, how does Trees for the Future choose where it will conduct a project? What's your process? Um, it's been a very, what we call a people-to-people program. We don't generally target specific places, but we go to where we know people who are asking for help and where people contact us. You know, um, for a long time, that was snail mail, and we would put advertisements out in newspapers. We've, we've had radio advertisements out before in all kinds of countries. But now, of course, it's mostly the Internet. Um, and we have an agroforestry training program. It's free. It's our long-distance agroforestry training program that started in 2004. And we've got um, well over 350 graduates from that program. And that's, that's the way we start a lot of our small projects now. Um, and that's expanding a lot as we translate them, our training materials into more languages. Right now it's in English, French, Spanish, Portuguese, Telugu, and we're working on about three local uh, dialects in a few other countries as well. So as that grows, it really expands our ability to kind of get the information out there, explain to people what it is we do, and then from there we try and start small projects and those projects grow. But we also get, being in D.C., there's there's obviously a lot of people coming through there. It's a very, very diverse city, and so people find out about us and, you know, they might just live, you know, a few miles away, and they come in and say, hey, we know some people back at home you guys should talk to. And there's there's a lot of that as well, just a lot of, you know, people-to-people contact. And, of course, people hear about us from our other projects. You know, people in villages contact us directly. So it's it's pretty amazing with, with the expansion of telecommunications, just how, you know, I, we can be communicating with people in, in some very remote areas. Uh, yeah, that's directly. so cool. I mean, it, it really does underscore the point that a lot of people feel like, you know, it's really happening. The world is becoming a smaller place. I mean, it's almost like a big global village. And your the way that you run your program really does reflect that exciting reality that we all can be connected. Even if we're not physically on the same street, we're still neighbors, and I love that. Um, talk to us about some of the projects that you have in Africa. I know that there are many. What are some of the common threads that you're seeing among the various African communities? 
Sure. Africa uh, probably comprises about a third to half of the, all the trees we're, all, we're planting, and uh, there's many reasons for that. But our programs are, are really based in East Africa and West Africa, and we've um, historically we've had a lot of inquiries from those areas. Uh, Trees of the Future is staffed by a lot of returned Peace Corps volunteers, and so they've also have a lot of connections in those areas. Um, in, I mean, in Africa, as in many of our projects, the soils we're dealing with are typically overused and degraded. There's a lot of that. Um, we're working with some very poor subsistence farmers. Um, there's lots of open grazing, which can lead to conflict with livestock, which is another thing that agroforestry works on, which is bringing the animals into um, a confined rearing situation where you're bringing the food to the animals rather than letting the animals graze all over the land. Um, and so... It's, there's, uh, we're working mostly on small projects, community-based projects, um, working with small farms and small nurseries, and um, through that we are, we're, we're getting into a lot of communities. If you, we'll, we'll talk about it later, I think, but we, with our Google Earth, um, if you look, uh, look at our points on Google Earth, there are a lot of points from Africa. Yeah, there really are, and and I think that's exciting. And, you know, I know the reasons for working so hard in Africa in terms of what's going on with their deforestation, but, you know, a lot of our listeners may be unfamiliar with what happens in communities that suffer from deforestation. Talk about what life is like in those areas where their forests have just been essentially annihilated. Sure. I mean, people depend on the forest for much more than trees. I mean, trees are critical in channeling rainwater into the ground, which lets springs and streams run year-round. Um, forests hold the soil in place. It prevents landslides. It can help drive local climate patterns. So deforestation is a huge problem that affects communities in really multiple ways. The streams dry out. It takes a lot longer to collect water, to collect fuel wood, to collect fodder for your animals. Soil erosion will come in. Land degradation follows. Landslides. There's, it, can, it can really destroy the local environment where when you start bringing the trees back, you can really, it's really possible to reverse that whole process. And that's, and that's the great kind of news. We're going to be talking more about that in the ne- next segment. What happens when Trees for the Future goes in and actually helps to reverse those deforestation effects? Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back after this quick commercial break with more Go Green Radio. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. 
Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Haiti has been hit hard by a deadly earthquake. Destruction is everywhere. Tens of thousands are feared dead and hundreds of thousands are homeless without food, water, and basic necessities. Save the Children is on the scene, but your support is urgently needed to help us save lives. Please give as much as you can now. Call 1-800-SAVE-THE-CHILDREN or go online at savethechildren.org. You can even donate $10 right now by texting the word SAVE from your cell phone to 20222. Please give now. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. And we're also so glad that Gaurav Seth from Trees for the Future has been able to join us today. We're talking about the great work that they're doing globally. I'd love for you to check out their website because I think you might want to follow along as we talk to Gaurav. So don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on the Internet Talk Radio Station Best in the world, voiceamerica.com, but open a new tab uh, in your web browser and go to www.treesforthefuture.org. And there you can look at some of the great things that they have going there, including an adorable video of one of their founders, Dave Deppner. I just love that video, Gorev. Um, did you, did you help produce that? Um, I came, I got, I started working at Trees right when that video was being made. It was actually made by some friends of ours in California. Oh, I just love it. I mean, he's so genuine and just, uh, I love the way that he talks, you know, with so much passion about the work that he and his wife, Grace, have started with Trees for the Future. It must be a real pleasure to work with them. Yeah, they've really done some amazing work. They're pretty awesome. Well, before the break, we were talking about some of the devastation that communities face when they are faced with deforestation. And in Africa, um, they've actually had a lot of their forests stripped by folks from other countries who are using their lumber for construction. 
And I know that even in my travels in China, there are now a lot of developers who are looking at ways to use more domestic wood and create some sustainable forestry there because they actually, some of them were using lumber from Africa and they've been able to see the devastation that deforestation has caused in those communities and they're trying to help uh, rebuild those forests and and use more sustainable forestry for their uh, building projects the best they can. On the flip side, Gaurav, I'd love for you to talk about what life is like in those communities when trees have been restored. Give us some examples of the changes that you've seen in a variety of locations. Sure, um, and what you mentioned is absolutely true. I mean, all, worldwide, there's there's the the lump, the areas are being deforested to supply lumber to the developed countries from developing countries, and so that's why most of our work is in developing countries. And you know, a dri- the driver of deforestation is not that people don't like trees; it's actually the opposite. It's because they need so many things that the trees provide, such as fuel with fodder and construction materials. And so what we do, which is agroforestry, is all about incorporating trees into the existing agricultural systems that people are using so that people can produce the resources they need sustainably without depleting the surrounding natural resources. And so the types of trees we plant are chosen specifically based on the needs of the participants and the growing conditions so that they will get provide the maximum benefit to the participants. Um, Now, by doing so, you reduce the human pressure on the landscape, which allows for a return of the forest. There are cases where we're working in buffer zones of national parks and we're working on actual reforestation projects, but a lot of our work is focused on planting trees where people already are, which is in, in and around their settlements, in and around their fields, and by doing so, reducing the pressure on the landscape and allowing the forest to return. Now, there are times when you really need to plant pioneer species to get the forest to return, um, or especially where you need to limit the uh, spread of grazing animals because they will just eat, chomp up any young seedling that sprouts up. But once you help people start managing their their natural uh, resources in a sustainable manner, the forest can come back. And... What, like I was mentioning in our previous segment, when you take the, for, the trees away, the, one of the main things you see is that the streams dry up because the, the water no longer percolates into the soil, but it just washes down. So when you get a big storm, you have landslides, you have huge amounts of erosion, and then it's all dry. And so one of the big things you see from returning trees to areas is that the water returns. That's kind of one of the most visible signs. But you can see um, you know, increases in wildlife. You can see the kind of the improvements in the livelihoods of the people there are huge because they don't have to spend as much time collecting water or collecting fuel wood. And for all, from all of these things, you really see not only that the environment gets better, but that the people get better. That's terrific. I mean, that's, you know, and that's some of the things that, that you will see, folks, if you check out Trees for the Future's YouTube channel. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the things that they have up there in a bit. But you'll get to see this in action, what Gorev was just mentioning, and the quality of life um, that follows a reforestation project for the individuals around it. It's, it's really terrific. Now, Gorev, let's say that your office gets a letter or a phone call or an email from a community leader in a country that's you know, far from the U.S and they ask for your organization's help, what happens next? Kind of walk us through the process of how you get involved with a new community. Okay, well, that is that is precisely what we do spend a lot of our time doing is responding to inquiries like that, um, both 
mail and email and on the phone. And basically, we try to get a sense of what their needs are, what their experiences are, and what the problems really that that they are facing and how planting trees can help. Um, Our projects are really designed to help communities meet their needs through planting trees, and the focus is always on the communities. So what we really need to try and establish a dialogue to say, you know, what's going on here and how do you think we can help this by planting trees? And, you know, typically we recommend that the community leader goes through our free distance training program so they can better understand what it is that we do and why we do it. And from there, we develop ideas on, okay, maybe this strategy will work. And then we kind of create a project plan and a budget and a you know, we try and get them some seeds, and we work from there to establish a small nursery and, you know, follow them through. And over the years, these, these small projects can really build up into something much bigger. But we always try and recommend that people start, you know, get their hands dirty, start grow some trees, and then take it from there and see where we can go. Well, when you establish a new project, does it require somebody from your staff to physically go to that location, or can a lot of this be done simply through, you know, your online training resources and maybe phone calls, you know, to train them over the phone? How does that work? Sure. I mean, with modern communications, there are a lot more options, and it really depends on the country. I mean, India is, is... we actually get more hits to our website now from India than we do from the, from America. India is the top the top country every month for about the last year and a half. They've been they've been so there's there's a lot of opportunities with um, technology, but there is nothing like a site visit. But generally, we wait until we have a number of projects in one area before we'll go ahead and send someone, um, unless we have a local person on the ground who can go who can easily go. But if we don't have a strong local presence in that country, like this is what we did in East Africa, we kept getting inquiries from there, and finally we had enough of a base that we we got a grant to send one of our guys full time based in Tanzania now, and that's expanded to Kenya, Uganda, and all the, and a bunch of of other countries. So there's really no substitute for a site visit, but we do a lot from these, this distance training program. A lot of small projects start up. People send us pictures, you know, sometimes cell phone camera pictures, you know, but mm-hmm. the, op- the opportunities to communicate now are really um, have, have developed so much that we can do a lot of things. I mean, there are many things we're doing now that really wouldn't have been possible even five or ten years ago. So it's, it's pretty amazing what, what kind of opportunities we have for that. That's really cool. I mean, it's almost like the the Home Depot slogan, you can do it, we can help. I mean, and the truth of the matter yeah. is, if people take the initiative and have the gumption to actually go through the training and, you know, follow these steps, I think it's much more likely that they're actually going to sustain those projects than if you guys sent a team in there to do it all for them and then left them to, you know, take care of it. I think having them, you know, do their own thing and and take ownership of it from the getty up is a great strategy. You know, in recent years, there have been a lot of organizations that I've seen spring up, and they are planting trees and they're uh, talking about their carbon offset marketing programs. You know, Trees for the Future was in this business long before anybody started talking about carbon offset programs. Um, but that's not really your main focus. I mean, you probably could be the industry leader just simply because you're so experienced in this area. But talk about why you know you guys aren't 
doing as much as some of these other organizations that kind of appear to have sprung up just so they can, you know, be a part of a lucrative carbon offset market? Right. No, it's, it's a very interesting question. It's a discussion that we do have. Um, I would say in the four years I've been here, at least once a year, we get into a very involved discussion about are we an agroforestry organization, are we a carbon offsetting organization? And we always, we're all here, all the staff members here, because we really believe in the potential of agroforestry to improve livelihoods for the smallholder farmers we work with around the world. Now, there, there is some, there are some interesting developments, and we do follow the carbon markets to kind of see people are trying to find ways to make the carbon market work for smallholder farmers. But by and large, most of the carbon offset stuff you see, um, tree-based carbon offsets, really are are not applicable to the kind of work we do, which is decentralized tree planting. These trees are designed to help these people who are planting, and they're trying to designed to really benefit these people, and they're designed to be used by these people, and so. Um, the um, the nature of the carbon market is just that it's not it really doesn't fit in with what we do very well, um, and we really want to focus on the, the communities and on improving their livelihoods. Whereas with the carbon offsets, it's almost like the communities don't really own the trees; they're actually owned, in a sense, by the people who are paying for the offset. And we really want you know the focus to be on these trees are planted by these community for the benefit of this community. And that, well, and that I think that's very laudable, and I have to say, it just makes me respect your organization that much more to stay so true to your mission, even when the lure of big bucks in the carbon offset market could easily distract a less noble organization. You know, you're staying true to the original mission. And that's not to say that, you know, people couldn't use Trees for the Future as a carbon offset program, but they'd really need to be aligned with your vision. And I, I really respect that a great deal. Thanks. Yeah, we do. I mean, we do offer what we have a global cooling business program, and basically, we'll do a very, we'll actually, you know, do a rough calculation of your of your carbon emissions, and say this is about how many trees you would have to plant to to absorb that um, carbon, because trees do naturally absorb carbon. I mean, that's what photosynthesis is. It's you take carbon dioxide and you turn it into a sugar. So. Um, that you know we're we're comfortable with that, and we think perhaps someday a unified standard will emerge that really will work to help bring this carbon carbon market to benefit smallholder farmers. But mm-hmm. um, until then, I think we've we've got our focus, and we're fortunate that we can just use people's interest in planting trees to engage in this work. I think that's terrific. Well, folks, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but don't go away. We have some really, really cool news coming at the next, atop the next segment. We're going to be talking about some of the IT functions and some of the fun things you can see if you look at Trees for the Future's website, uh, particularly their Google Earth project, which is so cool. So don't go away. We'll be right back in just a couple minutes with more Go Green Radio. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. 
Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations, who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We're talking with Gorab Seth from Trees for the Future. If you want to check out their website and follow along, now is a great time to do that because we're going to be talking about some of the offerings on their website that I have to admit were so fun. I got sidetracked for a couple of hours following along with this. But don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com. But open a new tab in your web browser and go to www.treesforthefuture.org. And the four is spelled out, F-O-R. It's not the number four. Treesforthefuture.org and follow along. In addition to all of Gorab's um, responsibilities as head of the international programs for Trees for the Future, he's also their IT guru. And so, Gorab, I have to commend your efforts. I love the Google Earth tour. I, I have to admit, I just completely lost ta- track of time as I was following along the tour. Um, talk to our listeners about that offering on your website and what they can expect if they go on a world tour with your Google Earth program. Well, thanks, Jill. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, Google Earth really is an amazing tool for showcasing our work, and it's kind of been my pet project for the last few years, and it's really taken off in the last Oh, about last year, year and a half. Um, but when I was getting ready for my first trip to India for Trees of the Future, I I ran off to REI and bought a 
handheld GPS unit because I was like, I want to know where I, I want to know where I am. Yeah. And so um, when I came back, then I tried, you know, figured out how to get those points into Google Earth and get some information in there. And so over the years, we've we've kind of really developed it to where it is now, which is really um, an amazing view of the work we're doing. And currently, we've got about three over 300. I think it's about 340 points in there from all of our major country programs, almost all the points have pictures, some have videos, they all have descriptions of what's going on. And so in some areas, depending on the resolution of the imagery that Google Earth has, you can, you can actually get down, like there's a, there's a great site in Ethiopia where you can actually see that what's on the ground and what's in the picture and what's in the satellite just match up just perfectly. It's just, it's amazing. And um, you can... You know, we're hoping as as the years go on, we'll have you know shots from these same sites over the years, so that you'll actually be able to see um, the progress over time, which will be amazing. And then um, Google Earth also offers kind of current imagery as well as historical imagery. So as that gets updated, there's going to be a really a lot a lot that we can do. So. Basically, if you go to our website, um, you can see uh, there's a link on the home page for our, our GPS monitoring um, because we just updated the, updated the points in July. And um, just pull down the file, open it in Google Earth, and you can just go from point to point to point and see some great pictures of people doing some really good work. And I think it's it's pretty inspiring. I mean, I always it's it's a lot of work every time I update the points, but at the end, then when I can actually go through all the points and look at them, it's just it's a lot of fun, and it really reminds me of what it is that we're doing. It is. I mean, it's really cool. It's one thing when you read a press release and say, you know, this is what this organization is doing, and there's lots of numbers about how many sites you're in, how many trees you've planted. But there's nothing like seeing a photo or a video of exactly what's going on in that location, and and then to see all of those locations in a worldwide tour on Google Earth. I mean, that that is just so cool. I love that. I also really got a kick out of your YouTube channel. Um, you have some great videos there. Of course, I mentioned earlier the, the video with your founder, Dave Deppner. I, I just think he's adorable. I love watching that. I actually watched it a couple, three times. But it's kind of like watching the Discovery Channel, and I really do highly recommend that folks who are kind of into YouTube get out there on Trees for the Future's channel. Talk to us about maybe two or three of the videos that are your favorites and what we can expect to see if we go out there and check it out. Absolutely. Um yeah, the the video thing, that video with Dave was actually probably the first video the Trees for the Future ever really did um, back in 2007, and we've been we've had some re- we've had some luck to get um, the one of the best videos that's on there is uh, about our work in Haiti, and it's a program called Eco Heroes, which airs on the Discovery Channel, and they went down to uh, videotape and film Timote and the work that we're doing down there. And so we've been real fortunate to have kind of outside people make the videos for us because they're really good at it. And so Eco Heroes is definitely one of my favorite videos. Um, Timote's personality really comes through. They have some great shots of our work with the communities. And it was actually shot last year um, before the earthquake. Um, And there may actually be some shots from the Ogan, which was the epicenter, because we were working in that area. Um, There's also uh, a bunch of short clips from Brazil that are very simply produced with handheld cameras. It's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, but they're really effective at showing the conditions where we're working on the ground and showcasing kind of the people that we are working with and 
you know, they talk about why they're planting these trees and what kind of trees they're planting. Um, we're really hoping to do a lot more with video in the coming year. Um, it's amazing how harsh the environment is in these areas and how quickly it'll it'll tear up a video camera. But um, mm-hmm. they're making some pretty, you know, these flip cameras and things like that that they're making are, are, are providing opportunities to really capture video where before it was just it was it was quite difficult. So we're really hoping we should have a video from Ghana and Cameroon up within the next month and we're trying to get about one video up a month for the coming year. That's that's what we're going for. That's really cool. Now, you know, I know that your headquarters for Trees for the Future is very near our nation's capital in DC. Does your organization ever do any public policy work or do you just kind of steer clear of that? Um, yeah, we are. We could. I could walk into the across the DC border from the office. It's it's very close by, indeed. Um, but we do attend a lot of events in the area focused on environmental, renewable energy, sustainable development. But we tend to stay out of policy making and focus on the implementation because we feel like there are really plenty of large, almost quasi-governmental organizations in D.C. and beyond that focus on policy and research, where our focus is on planting trees and helping people. And so that's that's kind of what we stick with. Well, and again, I applaud you for, you know, staying the course with your vision. And a lot of organizations sometimes will be wooed by opportunities to be in the spotlight for policy making and that sort of thing, and and you guys really just hunker down on an awesome mission and stay the course. I think that's great. You know, we're in a really tough economic time. I don't have to tell anybody that because we all are feeling the pinch, Um, and it's not always easy for nonprofits to get contributions. For people or companies who are looking to invest in tree planting, why do you think they should choose Trees for the Future over other organizations? I mean, what's different about Trees for the Future? Well, I think as you mentioned earlier, we've been around for a while, and I think our history and our longevity demonstrate that we've really developed a system that works. Um, this year, actually, 2010, is our 20th anniversary year, and so you know our programs, they don't just plant trees, but they really provide hope for people to restore their lands and improve their livelihoods. And you know, uh, Trees for the Future has... Our work has received some recognition over the years. Um, we received an award from the Arbor Day Foundation. Um, just this spring in February, we received official recognition from the Maryland State House and Senate for our work over the last 20 years. And then um, we have a four-star rating from CharityNavigator.com, which is four stars out of a possible four stars, which indicates that our operations are efficient and well-managed. Um, that's, that's what they're in the business of doing. And so we received that rating, and we've maintained it ever since. Um, and so we've also been fortunate to receive some great press coverage recently, which I think helps kind of validate some of our work. The BBC documented some of our work in Senegal last year. Um, Our work in Haiti is actually featured in this week's print edition of Newsweek and on Newsweek.com. And on our website, you can see all of the different um, media coverage we've gotten in the last year or two. So I think, um, you know, you can really see that we're out there working with people and that we've kind of maintained... We've maintained this focus, like you mentioned, for a long time, and I think that we're starting to receive some recognition for that. I think that's fantastic. Congratulations on all of those accolades and on the media coverage. Um, I I can't think of a more worthy and noble organization to receive those kinds of accolades, so congratulations on that. 
you know, there are some people who still might be a bit skeptical and, you know, that a lot of the areas that you've gone into have been devastated by deforestation. Sometimes it's been illegal deforestation. So how do you know that if you go in there and you get the forest back up and healthy that the trees won't be cut down again? Hey, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I would say in some senses that's actually our goal. We go in with the attention that the trees we plant will be utilized sustainably. Um, deforestation is really caused by people needing things that tr- the trees provide, and there certainly are a lot of examples of illegal deforestation um, that have caused huge problems. Honduras is one prime example where we're doing a lot of work. But it's also amazing how much deforestation is caused not by one big company coming in, but by lots of individuals going in to meet their needs. Um, One example for that is Ethiopia, where the forest cover has gone from 40 to 50 percent to around 3 percent in the last 30 years. And primarily because of people. And same with Haiti. I mean, in Haiti, the primary use of wood is for producing charcoal because most of the country cooks their food on charcoal. And so what we work on doing is helping people meet their needs through planting these trees. And the the species that we work with, we choose very carefully, and most of them are ones that coppice well, so they will will vigorously re-sprout after being harvested. And then a lot of these agroforestry systems that we implement are actually designed for regular pruning, um, such as there's a system called biomass transfer where you're literally taking the biomass from from these trees, putting the leaves on the field as fertilizer, utilizing the the wood for fuel wood, and then the trees are growing back. And so basically what you're developing is sustainable systems that allow people to really live in a sustainable manner in in the areas that they're currently occupying. What a brilliant and well-thought-out approach. I just can't thank you enough and your organization enough for what you're doing. We've got to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back with more from Trees for the Future. So don't go away, folks. We'll be back with more Go Green Radio in just a moment. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk Radio Show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice American Network with hunting and fishing info news, talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. 
Go Inside the World of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm glad that you could join us, and I'm very glad that our guest could join us. Gaurav Seth is representing Trees for the Future. I'm just a huge, huge fan of what they're doing, and I invite you to take a look at their website. It's www.treesforthefuture.org. They've been around before Going Green was cool, and they have got a fantastic program. Gaurav, I'd like to give our listeners an opportunity to hear about how they might be able to get involved in the program, um, there, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners have been listening to you and thinking, wow, I would love to somehow support this organization. What can they do to get involved? Thanks. Um, that's, we do actually, we're always looking for volunteers with language skills to help us translate our materials, um, especially the agroforestry training manual. It's, um, we've got it in a number of languages, but there's there's so many out there. and. There's really no no substitute for having it in in the local languages. So, people with language skills or specific technical skills, such as video, graphic design, web design, uh, we can always use your help. Um, we do receive a lot of requests for people who want to travel to our project sites to help plant trees, but that's not something that we actually offer. Um, I say, if you want to plant trees, find someone in your neighborhood with some land, and I'm sure there's plenty of people who would love to help. Um, and also, you could join the Peace Corps, where you could really immerse yourself in this kind of work, if that's what you really want to do, because almost everybody here at Trees for the Future is a former Peace Corps employee. That's cool. Now, you also have a couple of programs. One is called the Global Cooling Businesses Program, and the other is the, uh, I believe, Plant a Tree Partnership Opportunity. Talk to us about those those programs. Sure. These are our business partners, which are really just a great group of kind of green-minded businesses that have basically incorporated tree planting into their business models, such as we'll plant a tree for every bag we sell or every bottle of wine we sell. Um, and our list of partners has really grown quite extensively, and you can find a ton of different services that will plant trees as part of what they do. So kind of if you're looking for something green, take a look at our website. You can probably find a partner of ours that plants trees for whatever you wanted to do. Um, such as I'm actually going to have a kid soon, and there's a lot of great green baby suppliers that are partners with us. So I know where I'm going to look when I need anything. Um, <laughs> well, congratulations on a, that. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a really great way for businesses to kind of give back to the planet. And so we've, we're really fortunate to have some great business partners. 
Well, and it's just another opportunity for consumers who are looking for ways to invest their consumer goods dollars into companies that are environmentally responsible. It's just another way that, you know, if you take a quick check of your website to see if there are any businesses listed there who are involved in your programs, say, hey, those are the kind of companies I want to spend my money with. So I'd invite everyone to take a look at that page uh, on treesforthefuture.org. I think that's terrific. Speaking of planting a tree per purchase, um, how much does it cost? to plant a tree in Africa or in India or other places where you're located, uh, include, you know, all your organizational expenses. How much does it cost per tree? Right. Um, we don't break it down by continent, but our average cost per tree planted is about $0.10 cents per tree, which includes all of our expenses. Um, and it varies slightly from year to year and, of course, from country to country, but that's been our, our average cost over the last few years. And um, Basically, we come up with that by taking our annual budget and dividing it by our estimate of the number of trees we plant. Um, and $0.10 cents does, you know, often strikes people as being quite low, but we really do it by, because of the way we work, we work with communities that want to plant these trees. So, you know, one example is Haiti, where a large part of our budget is actually for rice and beans, because once the communities do these big communal tree planting activities, there's the tradition is that you cook up a big pot of rice and beans. So oh, you know, there's, there's a lot a lot involved in planting trees. You know, there's a lot of ways to plant trees, and we try and take advantage of, of the local traditions and work with people to plant well, trees. Well, it sounds really very cost-effective, and everybody appreciates that these days. I think, you know, thanks to, as you mentioned earlier, Charity Navigator and GuideStar and some other online um, resources for evaluating uh, nonprofit organizations, I think people are coming to expect... Um, operational efficiency from nonprofit organizations in a way that they never really had the access uh, to the data that would help them assess that the way that we can now. And to get a four-star rating from Charity Navigator really does prove by a very objective standard, I mean, that is no easy task to get a four-star rating from Charity Navigator, that your organization is run very efficiently and is worthy of uh, investment. You know, I, I can't help but think about all the students out there today who are in college and uh, getting ready to enter the job market, and it's a tough one. It's a really tough job, job market out there, and a lot of them are probably wondering if they'll ever have an opportunity to have a job like yours that's so full of meaning and purpose. You know, a lot of students will say that they're just looking for a job that's going to pay the bills because that may be all that they can do. Gaurav, can you give students who might be listening to Go Green Radio some advice or some thoughts about how in an economy like this they might be able to land a job that's just terrific like you have? Well, um, you know, it's one thing I think that most everyone at Trees has in common is that they were served in the Peace Corps as a Peace Corps volunteer. I'm actually one of the only people, uh, the only program people here who learned about agroforestry outside of the Peace Corps, but I highly recommend you know, if you're coming out of college, to think about that as a, if you're interested in this kind of work as a way to really get your hands dirty and learn about a place and learn about what this is all about. Um, there's, you know, I actually um, got involved with trees as kind of a guinea pig in the first round of the distance agroforestry training po program in 2004. So another thing I would say is find organizations that do what you want to do and see what they're up to. And so I took that first um, agroforestry training round and, 
got familiar with the organization, and then I had gone to do as an internship in Honduras. When I came back from that, I just showed up at Trees as a volunteer um, while I was going to look for other jobs. And my arrival coincided with when the yoga community began getting involved and our India program was expanding. And so made myself useful and, um, you know, people, they found a way to bring me on. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for developing a good skill set um, a lot to be said for just persistence, figuring out something that you like and find a way to do it. Um, you know, and I gotta say, you know, I found, you know, I've kind of developed some tech skills over the years and that certainly is helpful because in nonprofits, um, it, you know, maybe that's changing now, but it's, there's certainly, there seems, there tends to be a lack of, of the kind of tech skills and perhaps in the for-profit sector as well. But, you know, having those, having those skills, being able to do some work on the website and just being comfortable with computers actually can help even when you're planting trees because, you know, it's, 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 how, it's how our world works these days. So true. I mean, even in my nonprofit organization, the Go Green Initiative, um, we've been doing our very best to push the envelope when it comes to social media and, you know, website development and, and whatnot. So that's, that's really great advice. I'd love to hear just you're just so inspirational. Your organization is so inspirational. Tell us about your best day on the job. We've got a couple of minutes till the show is over. Just tell us a great story about uh, a great day on the job with trees. Um, well, I would say the best days are always um, the days in the field. Um, I'm fortunate in that I, I, I do um, get to go to the field about once a year to kind of check on my projects in India. And last this last January was my third trip to one of these projects where I've been going to for um, now this is you know my third year and it was just really great to see the changes you know in the trees and in the village um, as it just as it's developed a lot and um, our partner there uh, he's the former school teacher and you know he started planting trees actually when his wife passed away at a really young age and he's been working with his current and former students and so in the evenings after we'd been out and out and about all day we would typically go for a walk in the fields and just kind of talk and you know you just there's it there's just nothing like that i mean you felt so comfortable there felt so at home there um it was really just amazing to kind of to, to be in that place. That is fantastic. Gaurav, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all of our listeners for joining us as well. We'll be back same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.